Welcome to Design in Confidence, hosted by me, Stefano Bellucci Sessa. Design in Confidence is a podcast for designers, innovators, creative leaders, or just anyone who wants to change. In the past episode, I talked about design mindsets, how designers design. In this episode, I will talk about the focus of design. So, what designers design? Since I started mentoring, a few career changes ask for advice. They change career because they want to connect more with people or be more creative. If you listen to this podcast, maybe you are somewhere like them. You stumble across UX design, that seems great. Maybe you have done a course about it and maybe you even got a job as a UX designer. I'm making this podcast for you because these people asked me for advice. They said that it was all interesting, but the course didn't feel completely satisfying. Other people with a visual or coding background are way better than them. They don't identify themselves as a UX designers. They don't feel confident about changing career anymore. In confidence, I somehow went through all these myself. So in this podcast, I will share my learnings on how to understand whether UX design is for you and most of all, what other types of designers exist. You can easily find UX courses when looking for careers focused on problem solving, creativity and helping people. But that's only because UX courses are trendy, catchy and easily they can explain and sell the process. This makes UX an easy door to access to a world that is way bigger than that. I want to clarify I'm not complaining or against UX courses. I have done a course to change career and it helped me. I taught UX design courses and I know they help my students. My intention here is to help you see that by discovering UX, you just open a door, they finally show you the light. But there is a lot that you might not be aware of yet. And that's because maybe they didn't make you realize what's wrong with the UX industry. Let's look at this. In many countries, not everyone working in the UX has studied UX. Most people migrated, just like you, into UX from other industries, mainly from design, like I did, IT or research studies. These people now, they teach UX and manage UX teams. And they set up an example, intentionally or not, of what a UX designer should do and be. That becomes a standard that is not as standardized as you imagine, and often is outdated and misunderstood. This situation creates three main fake UX requirements. First, UX designers must make things pretty. This is wrong. Visual skills are a must, but a should or sometimes even a nice to have. UX designers must understand basic concept of visual design, like contrast or proximity, so they can design usable and accessible interaction. And also because it helps them collaborate with the UI designers, who must make things pretty. In many organizations there are a lot of UX UI designers, but remember that they are hybrid roles. 
and a compromise of not being able to afford two different types of designers, so they are generalist roles, and less specialized of two different designers doing UX and UI. However, they mistakenly become the most common stereotype of what a UX designer is, simply because their portfolios are prettier and they are more likely to be shared online. So remember, keep that in mind when you compare yourself to them. Remember that when you find these designers online, there are just a type of UX designer. But also be mindful that when you see on many case studies on Dribbble or similar websites, they might look really nice, they might not be desirable because they don't come from a good UX research, or they might not be feasible because they don't consider the implication of having to code that interaction. However, the second fake UX requirement is UX designers must code. This is wrong too. Coding skills aren't a must. Sometimes they are a should. Most times are a nice to have. UX designers need to understand basic concept of development. For example, the difference between a backend and a frontend. So they can design feasible interactions and know how to make the best of the technology available. And also, just like it happens with visual skills, knowing how to code helps them collaborate with the developers, who must code. And anyway, even developers don't know how to code in any language, so why should a UX designer? But also, why shouldn't you, a UX designer, be specialized in a UX skill? And that leads to the third fake requirement. UX designers must both understand problems and solve them. Yes, most times there are a must, but you will be a great UX designer if you specialize on one and they prioritize the other one to a should or a nice to have. It doesn't make you worse than other designers, but differently better on some skills. A UX course teaches you high-level skills to become what some people call product designers or UX designers. But if you aren't equally interested in all those skills, you can specialize in problem finding or problem solving, as I explained in the previous episode. It's not always in this way, but some organizations formalize this distinction by dividing teams into UX researchers and interaction designers. Before I go forward, it's time for objections. You might say, Steph, but what are those names? My organizations have different ones. Or, Steph, I wish I could do research, my organization doesn't do it. I am a wireframe monkey, they only ask me to make screens. Or, Steph, I must code, visualize and research and whatever. My team is more, or actually, I am the only one in the team. And my answer to you is yes, you are right. I have been there, I was the only designer in a team. Or I've been in places where people didn't want to do UX research. And I had the same role in different organizations with different names. Everything I explained here is theoretical, just like your UX design course. The reality will always be that every country, industry and organization doesn't conform to a standard because there is not a standard. But also because having a UX team or a UX designer in an organization are just design solutions. And just like any other design solution, they might be differently implemented around different specific needs. 
for example, if an organization is to hire a new UX designer and already have really good researchers inside, they might pick someone that is more solution-focused. But also because every organization has a different maturity. Startup and small teams often have designers doing many things, while big teams might have specialized designers. Both in startups and big teams, many companies don't do interviews, surveys and tests. And as I mentioned before, UX designers only design screens, sometimes without even making decisions of why, if and what screens are needed. You need to be aware that a big part of what you learned in a UX course, even if it was told to you that it's a must in the design process, it might be considered just as a nice to have in many organizations, or they do it, but they do it really badly. This is clearly explained in the Nielsen Norman UX maturity levels. You can find the link in the show notes. And I know that this is frustrating, but it's normal. A UX culture needs to be practiced and built with time and will happen in competition with other requirements from other teams. I know that is frustrating, but look at the bright side. If an organization hires a UX designer, it's an intentional commitment and investment to make that change happen. And this leaves you with three options. Either you advocate for more UX activity to happen, or to make them happen better. And for this, you might find useful episode 14 about why client management is hard. Or, if this is too complex for you, it's okay. You might have to wait until you grow enough confidence to do it. Or, if you don't want to wait because you want to learn quickly, that's okay too. You need to find a way to live and find a place where you can, because they have a higher maturity level. But when you do this, make sure that you understand whether UX design is too focused for you. Let's look at that. What's beyond the limit of UX design? First, not all products are digital. UX means user experience. User experience is how a product is experienced when used. I'm not sure why people limit this to digital products. That's why UX courses teach you how to become a digital product designer. But you can apply the skills learned during a UX course also for products that are not digital. If you design a chair, a t-shirt, a fork or whatever, you need to make sure that you first understand the problems and the needs of the users, and then you make sure that people can sit on the chair and not fall or be comfortable. In that case, you will be a UX designer. You consider the needs, the goals, the inputs and the feedback of those you are designing for. You are applying what's called human-centered design approach. And you might say, but Steph, but why did you say human-centered design approach? Isn't that user-centered design? But this time, my answer to you is no. People are human, not users. Unless you want to design digital products for a Black Mirror episode, users do and experience other things outside of a digital product. And because everything is designed, there is a lot to apply the human-centered approach to. And for this, you need to remember that not all experiences are products. People also discover, approach, buy, store, repair, and dispose a product when they don't use it. There are people specialized in these areas. For example, marketing teams design how 
to discover, approach and buy a product. And these things are usually well designed. But unfortunately how to repair, which includes customer support, or how to dispose, tend to be often badly designed, intentionally or not. And this leads, for example, to a lack of circular economy, because people don't know how to repair or to dispose a product. And the reason why these things don't happen well is because to intentionally and well design them, holistic and systemic approach are needed. And this moves the focus from the user experience to the customer experience. In some industries and countries, this is formalized with the role of service designers. Service designers design customer experiences across and between and with digital interactions, physical artifacts, places, but also employees. And something that we should remember is that employees and other stakeholders experience the service too. For example, as a service designer, I work on projects in organizations where the customer support team could then actually help customers because the usability of their softwares were really bad, they didn't have the information they need to support customers, didn't have the training to know whether or how they can use or share information with the customer or with other employees. They might not have the processes that help them collaborate with other employees. They might not have a good budget for their own salary to get a good salary that motivates them or to have an extra team member to share the workload with. They don't have the training to identify customer problems and solve them because yes, they are designers too. Or the company might not have enough solutions, products for the numbers of customers available because the demand is too high. This list can go on and on, and it can go deeper and deeper in what creates a dysfunctional organization or a bad business development. And these things need to be human-centered design too. In some countries and organizations, to make sure the human-centered design approach is applied to these, on top of service designers, we might also see roles like organizational designers or policy designers or business designers. Lately, even more with the climate emergency, we even start to see also place designers or community designers. They actually move from human-centered design to a more systematic approach. They might be called society-centered approach or planet-centered approach. And you might say, Steph, isn't this the job of HR, logistic, finance, politicians, etc.? And I'm gonna say to you, yes. And that's why maybe if you're changing career, you might have been limiting yourself. So let's look about why maybe you have limited your human-centered design potential. Look at what you've done now in your career as a design process. You discovered your unsatisfied needs in your career. You defined the opportunity of a career change. For example, a career focused on people and solving problems that brought you to ask yourself, how might I change my career? And since you're listening to this podcast, you also start moving at least to the ideation part. You designed a solution, a UX career. Maybe you brought this idea forward. You developed the solution, a course, 
or a job in UX. And since you are listening to this podcast or you keep listening to this podcast, maybe what I said resonates with you because you're not confident whether you have done something wrong or you're about to. And if this podcast has been of any use to you, you might have realized that your process wasn't too divergent. Maybe you didn't diverge intentionally because it was good enough to move forward. And that's okay. If you check episode 5, you realize that I totally agree with that. Or maybe you didn't diverge unintentionally. In both cases, you haven't done anything wrong. Don't judge yourself. If, as I said before, it's okay for big organizations to grow with time across UX maturity levels, so it's okay for you. But be mindful whether now it might be the time when enough isn't enough anymore and it's time to iterate your solution. What is your next iteration of your UX career? Hopefully this podcast gave you more confidence to ask yourself, do I really want to be a UX designer? Do I want to specialize? And if yes, in understanding the problems or making the solutions? Or is UX too specific and detailed for me? Do you prefer a role more holistic and systemic? But most of all, do I really want and need the title of designer? What if I keep my job but apply human-centered design approach? You can change your career without changing job or industry. In your previous career, or your current career, you already make design decisions. Just as digital products were already badly designed before UX was a thing. So maybe you might be the one bringing in your own industry the human-centered approach, so that finally, whatever is designed in your job title or industry is designed better. So yes, do a UX course and pursue a UX career if you want to design digital products or if you want to learn a human-centered design approach. In your industry, there is probably more need of people with a human-centered design approach than in the UX industry. Make sure you make a mindful decision of whether you want to become another UX designer, service designer, business designer, or a better whatever other thing you can do. And keep in mind that both options might be a transitional phase to the other one. Whatever you want to do, I'm here to help if needed. I'm actually planning to create online courses and the second season of Designing Confidence, completely focused on how to be mindfully aware and in control during the design process. And if you need advice or you just want to be updated as soon as these are available, contact me at hello at designinconfidence.com. I remind you that it's a pun, there is no G before confidence. And if this podcast helps your design confidence, please let me know comment or leave a review. Share it with someone who might need it. Use it as an opportunity to become someone else's safe space to talk about these topics. Because if you got this far, I'm sure you're a great listener, which I thank you for. And now it's time for me to shut up, so that you can listen to your own thoughts after this episode. And remember to thank yourself for the time you spent to learn and grow.